0: Hey guys, welcome to the Great Brave Podcast. I am Marina Wells. I am a high priestess, healer, mystic. I have 30 years of subconscious work working on ancestral wounding and trauma bonding and psychological disorders. And I've had 30 years of going deep into my subconscious healing, and I'm here to help bring awareness uh, to the collective, to people out there who are wanting to merge Uh, the old way of living and coming into a new way of living and who people who are having a really big shift in consciousness right now who are having a great break awakening. This is what the podcast is about. And our very first show, which I am super excited about, I had to bring my cousin, because you know, um, she is amazing. She is uh, Dr. Victoria Dubay, who has a doctor, doctorate in psychology, she's working with North Branch Community Yoga, and she's here to kind of give us details about the work that she's been doing with the youth around decolonization, awakening consciousness, ancestral wounding, and how that has psychologically imposed on humanity as as a collective. So I'm super excited to introduce Victoria, bring her on to the show, and have some really great discussion today. Welcome, Victoria.
1: Thank you so much, Trina. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: Oh, so welcome. So welcome. So I'm really excited about today and this conversation because you and I talk a lot about our own ancestral living, and, and you know traumas that I've gone through and, and things like that. So I'm really excited to hear your take in the work that you're doing and what you've recognized in your own awakening. And uh, maybe we can start and maybe fill everybody in about what you do right now, what got you into your field and and where you see that shifting in, in the near future.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so for me, I think working with people in a healing capacity uh, and psychology is something that came to me at a really young age. So in a strange kind of way, I don't even remember when I decided I wanted to be a psychologist. It just felt like an intuitive knowing. Uh, right. And maybe my first um, understanding of what intuition is, I just knew it was going to happen. And so um, moving through the matrix and grad school and and making that happen was what I did. And uh, right now, I feel like especially since COVID and the pandemic, um, I've taken a really deep dive into analyzing and feeling through what's going on. Uh, So right right now I do work at a community mental health agency uh, through a college in Chicago and Mm -hmm. that's fascinating because it's shown me so much how different things have changed over time working with kids and teenagers and families and also supervising students. So I'm thinking a lot about well how do we want to as um, a faculty right now, mentor these upcoming students, and how can we connect with them? So that's been a piece of it. And then uh, Mm -hmm. recently, I also decided to pursue yoga as a way of connecting deeper with our ancestry line. Um, You know, since we, our ancestors are indentured laborers, and so I've Mm -hmm. always thought of myself from, as from Guyana, which Mm -hmm. we are to some degree, but it always stopped there for me in a way uh, the right. idea that we are probably from India felt so far away. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and that really, it was something that I just kind of accepted. And I feel like through the yoga training, it's actually something that I've allowed myself to grieve more and try to reconnect mm. with uh, and, mm. and also grieve that it might not be me being raised in India uh, with a certain kind <laughs> of culture, but also celebrating maybe the integration of the cultures that I do have. So uh, a bit of that process. And um, and yeah, and I think I've just been thinking a lot about accessibility, both for the Community Mental Health Agency and my yoga jobs and thinking a lot about what wellness means in general. and. Right how we throw a lot of buzzwords around, and what is really the meaning. I think our society is so good at throwing buzzwords around without really understanding or picking apart the meaning.
0: Yeah, that's how I did so great in the government for so many years was you just know the right terminology and you can basically sell anything, right, in the matrix, right? Well, I think that's fascinating that you you really brought up like the the Hindu stuff and and that's our ancestry line and I've also struggled with that as well. And I love what you're doing with with the work that you're doing. And you said that you always intuitively knew Mm -hmm. that you were gonna get into this line of work. So so I love when we have our discussions, Victoria, because you have such a great rationale and the education behind what's going on in the world, but yet there is such a deep intuitive piece. And a, and a deep wisdom that comes from your knowing, you know, like I, I love that about you. And and so how do you merge those two? Because I, I know myself when I worked in government so logically minded, I had a, a professor when I was doing my my business, um, a business course. He's we did some kind of psychological testing. I think it was the ENTJs or the Myers Briggs or something like that. And And he looked at my results and he said, how can you be so logical yet so creative or so intuitive? You know, how do you, how do you merge those two, two worlds? So how do you do that in your work? How do you do that with all the mental rationale and with what you know, so deep in your soul?
1: Yeah, I think that's an excellent question and one that I often struggle with, I think Again, our particular society, North American or Western, so to call it, society, uh, emphasizes the cerebral so much, and mm-hmm. it's far too easy for myself to get stuck there. Uh, and cool. I'll, you know, I'll overthink something or I'll approach everything from like a book perspective or an academic perspective. and mm-hmm. um, and we're trained in grad school often to to operate from that approach because, I think psychology tries so hard to be sort of some kind of objective science. And Mm -hmm. I've always thought to myself, it can't be like that because people are all different. We're all dynamic. Um, And there might be some universals or some truths that we all hold. We feel grief. We feel love. We feel fear. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. how we approach or work with that can look drastically different from one person to the next. So I think it's um for me reconciling the cerebral and the intuitive has always been a struggle and
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's some sometimes I feel like I'm better at it than others and something that's really helped is over the quarantine um you know we were all in person before that there was sort of like yeah. a pre pandemic and I was working these long hours and after adopting teletherapy and some kind of hybrid model and being at home for a year plus, uh, it, it forced me in a sense to actually discover the way I naturally move, which is a lot slower than I thought that I moved or I've been taught to move. And I think that's the piece of it that I have been trying, uh, now that I have that knowing, uh, when I'm softer or moving slower is when I can access Mm -hmm. my intuition better. And because I know that now I've been trying to make more space for it. So maybe having quieter nights or, you know, doing more yoga, yoga really helps me connect spiritually. Um, and community's been helping me connect spiritually. So am I spending my time with people I love or talking to people I love? Uh, like when we talk, Um, and I think that's how I work to balance it. I can sense a lot more now when it's out of balance and now I have more tools to know what to do. Uh, so Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, maybe I need to move this energy around. I'll go for a walk or I'll do yoga or I'll just sit in the sunroom and feel the sun on me. It can be as simple as that sometimes, uh, to connect me back. And, uh, I've been, I've been working really hard at, at balancing that, but it's (laughs) every day it's a (laughs) different
0: It is it whole it really it really is, and I know like we operate a little bit different in in that sense where i've and we've had a big age difference between us as well, right um so the first part when you were so little, you know me diving into all that intuitive stuff and all i mean it was kind of thrown in my in my face, I had to work at it in a different way, so how is it now that you are noticing? in that relaxing space right because Mm -hmm. we do live in a world that has been colonized that's pretty much what's happened it's taken away from this space that you're talking about of meditation you know because that does come from eastern philosophies right um yoga for instance even plant medicines are from you know all over different places the world so i feel like canada north america are we suffer a lot because even if you look at europe there's still so much other, there's something deeper over there still, you know, there's, it's older, there's still something um, more tangible and something more mystical, you know, you have folklore, folklore, and things like that in, in, you know, medieval times, or the, the elves, and the fairies, and the Celtic, the Celtic type of tradition, so we in Canada, and the U.S., we have what is going on here when we are trying to find this mystical or something deeper or something that, you know, I know you're saying you're you're trying to balance that and figure that out in your day and, and whatnot. But now that you're diving more deeply into that world and ancient healing, different things and ancient healing and, and whatnot, how are you seeing the suffering now with, with, people who are struggling with mental health and and you knowing that there's you know maybe a plant or a ceremony or something more you know Chinese medicine or other kinds of healing, how do you bridge that when when you know in your heart with helping people in in the work that you're doing when you know it's so you know it's so different over here? <laughs>
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I've got several answers for that. So please bear with me. Yeah, I love it. Go for it. (laughs) I think often of just sort of the root cause of suffering in the system. And Mm -hmm. I think that's where I'd I'd love to start with this is you Mm -hmm. mentioned colonization. And it has me kind of thinking, well, Europeans came over here and took land and um and killed people and harmed mm-hmm. people and took what wasn't theirs and imposed mm-hmm. their own culture values systems and right. i think if we start in that place like we're already starting on a playing field that is completely unequal and um and harmful for mm. anyone who really comes to this country or to canada mm-hmm. yes. and it has me kind of thinking about the root cause of suffering from there, that if you go somewhere and you steal something, Mm -hmm. then there's already so much darkness there. And if you're building from this place of taking from someone else, um, without acknowledgement or gratitude or, um, or paying homage to it, then that's, Mm -hmm. that's the root of the problem. And I almost see, um, the people that I work with, and even in myself, or you know, my uh, my colleagues, my friends, our family, I feel that that's one of the biggest root causes of suffering. Uh, you know, our family got taken over to Guyana as indentured laborers and didn't have yeah. a choice in that. And right. you're forced to sort of adapt to whatever circumstances you're in. And mm-hmm. um, and that's where you know maybe resilience is born or integration of different perspectives. Um, but Mm -hmm. it's coming from a place of harm and i think that's where a lot of the suffering comes from and so when i think about bridging that gap between uh the western approaches and Mm -hmm. some of other types of approaches it has me thinking a lot about this idea of a third space so Oftentimes in Western mental health, we see, or we're taught to see in grad school, uh, these evidence-based practices as the perspective, you know, like CBT is the the best or, you know, DBT is the best. And a lot of these um, therapies that we use are derived from a lot of Eastern tradition. Uh,
0: So mindfulness
1: is a large component, for example, of a lot of the different types of evidence-based therapies. but I think when you start off with stealing something, it becomes easy to continue to appropriate. Um, Mm. and I'm not saying that everyone who has developed therapies has done that because there are some very responsible and ethical, um, theory developers who will acknowledge and, um, and discuss where their, uh, their, their therapies come from. And so it's absolutely not everyone, but I think in our culture, Mm -hmm. we're taught so much to believe that these are the ways that you can work with people. And it's so tough because then you internalize, yes, this is the way when really it's a way, it's not the way. Mm -hmm. There are many other ways. And yes, it has utility and can be helpful for some, but it's not necessarily helpful for everyone. So I think thinking about it in that way has helped me to expand my understanding of what wellness or mental health is and it mm-hmm. goes beyond mental for me. I think, I think about it more as, um, as body, mind, and soul. So it's not yes. even necessarily mental health. It's just like, it's just health in general. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think I've been trying to approach, uh, working with my clients more from that place and, mm-hmm. um, and trying to be sort of like maybe a guide or a holding space, uh, not necessarily giving different kinds of worksheets, but, you know, encouraging right. them maybe to seek out other types of therapies or wellnesses yes, that would be good yeah. for them, like acupuncture, right. Um, right. yeah, or nutrition. Healthy yes. eating is a huge piece of it.
0: Yes, it is. It is because we even see that in our world today. Like the the way that we eat is not even right. aligned to to nature, or even you know how we grew up Guyanese. You know, like we don't we don't go to McDonald's. <laughs> we don't do those types of things you know? Absolutely. Um, Yeah. And so you're bringing up more about like our ancestry and our ancestry line and the indentorship. And and that kind of caught my attention too, when you were talking about how that has um, changed our, our ancestry line a lot. And I understand when you're saying about, you know, our families have been in Diana for what, 300 years or something or 200 years or something like Mm -hmm. that. And we I understand my roots never felt linked to the Caribbean. I know like I love Guyana and I love going down there, and I love the rainforest and all of that. but like you as well, I wanted to know more about where we came from, and there's so much of this that has been lost, you know, even when I've gone down and I've drank ayahuasca or have tried different methods of healing that are outside of you know, mental health or what we know in our society. Um, just my experiences alone, when I was doing therapy, you know, and working through the indentureship of our family and the suffering of our family, the traumas of our family, and trying to find something rooted in, in, in myself, I found it very difficult. Now, this is going years back. I'm sure I know it's changed and you're on the brink of changing things and doing that. Um, but back in, you know, and I don't know, there might be somebody listening to this that's still having these issues where, you know, seeking and knowing and knowing my intuition and the visions and and having to go speak to a therapist or speak to people about, you know, things that come through our lineage, because we have a very gifted psychic family lineage. I know there's lots of other indigenous and um, people BIPOC that have these gifts right and I'm not saying that that white people don't Caucasians don't I know they do way back you know there's there were shamans in, in their lineage as well but something around this mysticism has gotten lost and I have found it very difficult speaking to doctors or psychologists or counselors about my visions because they seem more real than this reality and so how, how is it like if somebody's listening to this and they're having dreams and messages from spirit, or they're having mystical out-of-body experiences? Where if somebody came to you with that? I know you're more open to it, but let's say, let's take an example that somebody's a complete opposite of you. How is it that somebody out there can seek? something more or somebody in the mental health field that has like, are there programs? Is there outreach? Is there something new that's happening? Is there a way that these people who have outer different kinds of it, who are having an awakening process, right? Finding the right help in the world that we currently live in.
1: Right. I mean, that's an excellent question. And I don't think that there's An easy answer to that because I think right now things are in development. There's absolutely therapists and mental health clinicians or psychologists that would be open to it. And it comes down to finding the right fit for you as well, which Mm -hmm. is really tough because something I struggle often with is I feel like I'm supporting people in systems that are harmful to them and harmful to me. And I struggle with that existential sort of dread around that about the meaningful aspects Uh of doing this kind of work um on on a bad day (laughs) and (laughs) i think it's hard because it comes down to connection to me uh for Mm. for me in a sense that if you feel connected to someone maybe you would be able to feel enough trust or know you're in a safe space that you can bring that up but finding that connection can be tough in our particular mental health field Um, so if someone came to me a hundred percent i'm open to that i know several other students that i've trained or other colleagues that i've worked with i happen to be very fortunate to work with colleagues who are interested in expanding Yeah. yeah and i know they all would more or less be open to it and i think it's just tough though because there's no set place on like where to look for that. We don't have yeah. a database that sort of includes right. information like that. It includes a lot of the buzzwords, like things like um, diversity or um, DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion. And, you know, everyone's trying to put that now because they want to appear a certain way. And right. it, that is also worrisome. So I don't know that I have mm-hmm. great advice necessarily for someone who's mm-hmm. seeking out Um, a database or a resource that would be able to provide a list of um, mental health practitioners. And that is absolutely, I think, an area of need. Um, Mm -hmm. And there's sort of like, because it's sort of on the brink of developing, there's absolutely people that I know, or that maybe I follow on social media that are doing that work, and are more interested in it. Uh, And I think that it might be about compiling something that could be, you know, like a helpful thing to do that if you live in <laughs> yeah. this area, contact these people um, or reach out to them and they can help you find someone that might be a good yeah. fit for you. Uh, and that might be something that needs to develop a bit more because I think right now it's, it's very hard for people who typically don't have access to mental health care mm-hmm. to find people that um would work well with them. You know, I, um, even just like finding a therapist of the same race as you or finding a therapist who understands Mm -hmm. socioeconomic concerns and, um, and understands that, yeah, you might not have the transportation to get you to therapy. So maybe like work on something else and not just about changing the way you think about a situation. And so, um, Mm -hmm. I think I think it's been historically difficult and I'd be more than happy for anyone listening to this to have them reach out and I can try to um try to put them in touch or provide some um level of connection.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that would be amazing cuz I know you're great at at that whole aspect of looking at things outside of the box whereas I know other people may not be and the whole um thing is, is like, we need trailblazers like you, you know, to really come out and start talking about, you know, what has happened to us as humanity, how we've lost a lot of our mysticism. And and I think one of the concerns too that, as you were talking, what came up was this whole woke culture, mm-hmm. right? As you know, we don't know where we're going with everything. There's nothing right now, people who are having mystical experiences to find a therapist that's, currently in in the matrix um but then we have this whole aspect of this woke culture you know like how do you feel about that let's let's talk a little bit because i don't know how i feel about it but i mean there's like good points in it like there's things that i can you know relate to but something always feels a little off with me in regards to psychology the mental health like all of that and then the woke
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think I have a lot of opinions about this. And, (laughs) um, (laughs) I think, I mean, they're constantly sort of developing and I have, you know, like a partner and friends that I absolutely talk to about this a lot. And I think, um, one of the major issues is I think this kind of culture exists on a spectrum. Like there are people who actively hold values of trying to expand and grow and reflect and unlearn things that they've been conditioned to, to know and rebuild something that would be better for everyone. So there are absolutely people that are doing that. And then I think that on like the extreme level of the spectrum of woke culture, you have a lot of people that are doing the exact same thing that they're complaining about of like the opposite side, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm, In a sense mm -hmm. of um, polarizing or policing in a sense, policing what people are saying all the time, Right. um, Right. kind of being the first one to jump down someone's throat, but not actively really doing anything else apart from that. And I think that's sort of the issue I've been having is, you know, people can make a social media post or um, call someone out in a coffee shop um Mm -hmm. but what else are you doing in your everyday actions and in your decisions how are you living um who are your friends where where are you learning where are you growing Mm -hmm. where are you breaking things down within yourself Mm -hmm. and I think you know there are a lot of people that are doing that work and there are a lot of people Mm -hmm. that are doing more of the surface level work uh and Mm -hmm. I think that is incredibly harmful. And mm-hmm. I think it sort of breeds this binary thinking that we should absolutely be trying to move away from and doesn't allow for nuances that, again, humans are dynamic. And yes, sometimes someone's going to see something that's not correct. And how do we actually approach those conversations um, right. in a way where expansion could possibly happen?
0: Right. And for someone listening, too, how, do you, how would you describe? Woke. Maybe you give a definition of what you think woke. I'll tell you what mine is in a bit. But like, what woke culture is, how that looks in the social matrix, right? Mm -hmm. And I mean, what do you think it really is on the whole? Because I mean, I have two different, very opinions on it. Like woke, like I, I consider myself woke, but Mm then you know, and and aware. And trying to make a difference in the world but then there's like a whole other level of it too that i can see that people are also using like you said those labels and things like that to just categorize and discriminate or judge others yeah so this is the issue that that i have how do you how do you see woke culture
1: yeah i agree i think that's why i like to think about it sort of on a spectrum with like the extremes on each side and then (laughs) people that are maybe doing a little bit more of what we want to call or what woke wanted to be in a sense Um, you know like actually doing that internal work or doing that work in the systems in which we participate in Um, and nobody's perfect at it and I think that Mm -hmm. the problem with the extreme end of woke culture is that it demands some level of perfection that you need to be operating Mm. on like knowing Mm -hmm. everything all the time, though things are constantly Mm -hmm. changing. The language we use is changing all the time. The way we think about things is changing all the time. And I feel like the danger of extreme, I I guess I'll call it Mm -hmm. extreme woke culture to like illustrate the spectrum. Um, I think the dangers of extreme woke culture is that it doesn't allow for, um, for any kind of deviance from, from our idea right. of what perfection is so it's a lot of holding right. people to certain standards like you can't say this you can't do this right um without right. actually expanding um you know like this is a better way maybe to put it or i wonder why that um you said it that way you know it mm-hmm. doesn't leave room for dialogue it only leaves room mm-hmm. for the things that you were saying like judgments Um, I forget the other words you use, but judgment kind of stood out to me. Yeah,
0: It's almost like spiritual bypassing is kind of Mm -hmm. how I see it, right? And we do that in the new age community, in the spiritual community. Positive thinking, positive thinking, positive thinking, trying to fix ourselves, trying to not feel something. Whereas you and I know us going into our ancestral wounding has been all about feeling, you know, has been all about digging really deep and questioning. Why we do the things we do in relationships, love, you and I talk about that a lot and our work and um and everything else, so based on yeah let's let's go into your awakening process a little bit based on your awakening process, just off the top of your head, you know your your latest most epiphany or something that has shifted inside of you consciously has that Aided you at all in in the psychological work that you're doing, or has it at all? First of all, talk to me about your your newest epiphany or newest awakening that you've had. How has that changed how you see your work as a psychologist, as a therapist, and how um, has it like, yeah, how is it, how is that how has that changed? That has it has it. Have you questioned it yourself more? Basically, yeah. what I'm saying based on your newest expansion. Absolutely. Talk to me about
1: that. Hmm. There's so many layers. I guess um one of my newest expansions is, um, well, oh, there are a few because I've got an internal one of moving slower. And, um, mm. and that's been a huge one since I went on my trip to Mexico a few weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, I feel like I got uh, after the pandemic, one of my worries was that oh, I learned that I do move slower. And then having to sort of pick up the pace again, I was trying so hard to cling to um, to uh, moving slower and that integration piece. And then I got locked in again. And I knew right. I was locked in before the Mexico trip. And after the trip, I knew that I had broken free a little bit from it. And so- mm-hmm coming back home, I've been trying to move at that pace more and more. Uh, and I, I think it's been helpful. So that might look like me not scheduling as many things per day, let's say, right. or um, answering every single email or, you know, mm-hmm. being like, I have this presentation I need to make Well, I have time tomorrow. Like I'll do it tomorrow and not stress myself out today. And right. it looks like more of a tiered process to doing things rather than feeling like you have to do everything at one time and one time, it has me yeah. thinking a lot and these are not necessarily new thoughts they're just thoughts that have recircled back around for this mm. particular time
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> it always happens that way it just right, right back around
1: all exactly the time, yeah? exactly and like I think this is my hot thought right now um is <laughs> thinking again about what productivity is in our society oh, and
0: that's a I, huge one. <laughs> uh,
1: My gosh. And yeah, that one was out for a minute. And then I was thinking more about expanding mental health, but I'm back to productivity right now. And um, I think a thing that comes up for me often, uh, and the person I probably talk to about this the most is my partner, because we're constantly, we both got really sad when we got back from Mexico on different days, which was helpful so we could support each other. Uh, But I think coming back to uh, a place that felt so heavy, you know, mm. with like all mm-hmm. the terrible legislation that passed yeah. while we were in Mexico with Roe v. Wade and coming back mm-hmm. and like, you know, um, guns having more rights mm-hmm. than people or women's right. or, Yeah. You know, people who identify as yeah. women's bodies. It's just like, yeah. oh my gosh. And um, And I think for me, it had me really thinking about what productivity is. It's like, you know, we go to work or we've been taught that we get up, we go to work, um, you make money, you retire, and then you live your life. And there's so many people that I've seen that when they retire, they have lost complete access to themselves. They don't know themselves apart from their professional identity. And it has me you know, it makes me so sad. And I think on Mm -hmm. times where like, I'm really busy at work, or my partner is really busy at work, we don't see each other. And it, you know, it breeds so much disconnection, and a lot Mm -hmm. of grief and sadness. And luckily, we communicate very well. So I think we're able to work through it. And I'm grateful for that. But it has me thinking about how our you know, our North American society has been set um, up to trap people in this. And then I have a certain, I have a lot of privilege in this system still. So I'm like, you know, I'm floundering, like imagine someone who, you know, is living paycheck to paycheck or doesn't know where their next paycheck is, or someone who has like a lot of kids and doesn't know where their next paycheck is. Uh, And typically it's, you know, there are certain intersections of identities in this North American society where that's, It just makes things so much harder uh, for like you know a black woman living in the south side of chicago compared to me and um it has me thinking if i'm struggling and i'm thinking about what productivity means how is this other person doing in this and it reflects back to me and how can i actually support my clients and Mm -hmm. i work with a lot of clients who are underinsured or on medicaid and so a lot of these barriers do exist for them. And it has me wondering, well, what is actually helpful for you right now? Maybe you and I sitting down and filling out your disability paperwork is more helpful than me teaching you this strategy to like change the way you're thinking, you know?
0: And that's, I think that's the whole part of that colonization is that separatist mindset, divide and conquer, right? That is what we have been conditioned into, right? And even with family and structure and it's all about this separateness. So like you're saying a, a single black woman, you know, with children and not being able to get the help that she needs. And I understand too, as a, as a, as a single mom, it's, but I mean, I'm still privileged as well, like, and compared to other people as well. Um, how do you, you know, dig deeper into finding yourself—that's the most difficult part. When all you are doing is surviving, all you are doing is living in a separatist type of consciousness, right? You constantly come from lack, and that takes like a a bigger shift, you know, for somebody like you know a single black mother than somebody like us to dig deep and to find herself to Great. come on out on the other side, and um, yeah there's I think, no let's,
1: space let's, for that you know there's and no
0: space yeah for that.
1: if you're in survival mode like you're saying then how can there be space for this you know this hypothetical person we're talking about to find right. time for herself and to do right. that to do that inner work and um right. and it's just yeah this is where yeah. we're at
0: yeah and we tell these people society well it's just hard work it's just hard work and it's mm. that's not it's not just hard work it's not just uh, a mindset we're dealing with you know ancestral traumas there are things in how we were raised there's so many things that have been suppressed at that point that just doing hard work or even just getting up in the morning Mm -hmm. is difficult to you know when your soul is tired right because you've been carrying heavier energies than you know what other people are carrying based on you know what you've had Mm -hmm. to deal with based on your lineage and whatnot. So, I'm gonna. I, we're gonna take our first break. We're gonna take a break because um, we're already 36 minutes in. I can't believe that. Like, ah, the talks <laughs> with you are amazing. I love them. But we're gonna take a quick break and then we're gonna get into more about how you want to see things changing in the mental health or even overall wellness for youth. I want to talk about the children because maybe we'll talk about that in the next half uh bit because I don't know with these kids, man, and with my kids alone too, there's there's a change that's happened with mm-hmm. COVID and everything else. It's like the separation consciousness is just stronger, you know? Right. So, yeah. So let's take our first break and uh, we'll be right back, guys. This is Victoria, Dr. Victoria Dubay on the Great Break podcast. And we're talking about all kinds of different great things. The podcast you don't want to hear. We'll be right back, guys. Stay tuned. Hey guys, this is Victoria's email. I'm throwing it up here so you can contact her. I highly recommend her, not just because she is family, but she has been one of the brightest lights in my life. She has never judged me for my own shadow work and things that I've had to personally work through. And she brings such a beautiful conscious awareness to the mental health industry. You know, email her, especially maybe follow up with her in her yoga programs in the Chicago area. Take a look at her Instagram. I believe this rising star is here to make changes in our world and in the system and to merge both worlds. You know, we need people in all areas. And I highly recommend her again, not just because she's family, but because I have witnessed change in my own life because she's able to hold a very deep, solid container for your growth and for anything that you're going through so check her out again her email is there and her instagram is down below and obviously there is me i am a high priestess and a healer like you guys know and if you don't know what that is you know i come from a very deep ancestral trauma bonding type of healing that i had to do and i went through some of the darkest things and have healed some of the most complex disorders that many people face from a different way not from the psychological way but from my soul from my inner deep knowing so this is why victoria and i have such a beautiful bond because we're coming at the same topic from two different extremes and two different sides to say so take a look at my website it's there if you want to work with me I'm able to feel energy out in a different way and to pull up your Akashic, why you're here on the planet, and to give you a different perspective in how to work through your blocks. Again, if you want to work with me, that my website, my website is there and all the info is down below. Let's get back to it, guys. Let's get back to the podcast. Welcome back, guys. I am Rena Wells with The Great Break podcast the podcast you don't want to hear I am a healer a mystic and a high priestess 30 years of diving deep and healing a lot of ancestral wounds and today we are back here with Victoria Dr. Victoria Dubay who is a uh, psychologist right psychologist is that the right term okay yeah <laughs> I always want to say psychiatrist but it's that's different right yeah mm-hmm.
1: those are the medication yeah. ones
0: that's the medication one right psychologist and uh, doctor of psychology here so we're gonna get jump right back into the next half hour of this and I wanted to um ask you Victoria about because you're a trailblazer work that you're doing is you know you're merging psychology and your spiritual knowing your intuitive knowing your awakening process and doing yoga and your your ancestry um lineage you know how is it that you see or how you would like to see things progress in our world with merging those two concepts?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's such a good question. Uh, First off, I think it boils down to how we uh, educate our graduate students who are going to school for uh, for psychology. And so Mm -hmm. I've received a lot of that kind of feedback from the students that I work with is that uh, they're all burnt out you know and they all right. feel like like half the things they learn don't feel that meaningful to them and um and so I think that a shift needs to happen in how we're educating because we're taught so mm-hmm. many things in grad school uh that mm-hmm. are not necessarily correct we're we're taught like the what I was saying before that the western medical model is the perspective and right, right. I think it has to start there and I know a lot of the work that we do at the college I work at is, um, is a lot of trainings for our students and our staff on decolonizing mental health uh, mm-hmm. processes and approaches. And that's something that I think needs to continue to happen. It's sort of this universal type of outreach to be like, yes, mm-hmm. there are other ways of doing this kind of work. And infusing mm-hmm. it at the college level, I think can be really helpful because it challenges mm-hmm. the idea that we're taught certain things in college or university. But like right. oh here you are in a clinic that is part of a college and university and you're learning that there are other ways to do it so i think it's really right. nice it's a nice way of interrupting and the other piece that i would love to see and something that i'm hoping to start um creating is uh just the idea of more community care yes. so Expanding again our ideas of wellness Mm -hmm. and what wellness and connection mean to different communities so different neighborhoods or um, Mm -hmm. different people living within the neighborhoods and starting from that point. Uh, so right. having like a space that people can come to and people from that neighborhood can um, do different types of wellness activities. And so it could be run by the people from specific neighborhoods so that it is right. specific for the people residing there uh, and helpful yeah. for them.
0: I love that. I absolutely love that because that takes away that whole separation consciousness, right? That takes away that brings it back to like what we did in ancient times when we had a tribe right? Or even like when I was a kid growing up, I don't know, I can't even go to my neighbor and ask for an egg, you know, or uh, some sugar or something. Whereas, you know, back in the day when we were kids, that was, it was about community. We didn't have this internet or this separate, whatever this technology is separating the children as as well, right? Or, and, and that whole aspect of you talking about community and then educating at a certain level to start shifting you know the mindset of these students who are like you're saying just totally burnt out of just constantly and and what is that like studying all the time what is that exactly is that yeah you know, it's
1: especially the grad level it research in? it's clinical work oh, it's God. um yeah I, you know it's so frustrating to hear them talk about it because it reminds me of my own grad school experience too right and it's it's sad to watch them perish in it. It's, you know, they flounder so much. They're tired yeah. all the time. They're burnt yeah. out at certain times of the year more than others. And um, it's really tough to watch people with so much vitality, like late 20s, right. operate yeah. like that.
0: Well, and I see that even in the education. Like, and I'm a dropout. I couldn't, I went a year to university. And I'm like, I can't do this. Mm-hmm. And it's not, you know, I have proved that quite wrong that it's not because I don't, have the smarts for it it's just there's something in our education system too that just it hurts your head after a while it takes the joy out of learning you know because as a child you're curious about everything you're like I want to learn this I want to discover this I want to do that and we've lost that childlike way and so as you're saying like this trailblazing into like building community back differently bringing that back that you know you can gain trust in your people locally again mm-hmm. and even like introducing like you're saying different avenues for people to like you're doing yoga right like you you started doing yoga I think that's amazing I remember you telling me a story about a somebody that came who had a child and they couldn't you know do yoga like unless you know they came to the park where you're doing it and I and I love that because I love it too Yeah, it touches people in such a deeper way. And, and I don't know, like, how do you see that happening? Because I I have, I have other ideas about community. I know it has to start Mm. with community as well, especially with the kids um, and different programs for the kids and whatnot. But how, how do we start bringing, I know you're doing the yoga and whatnot, but what about kids that aren't in grad school or kids that are, you know, struggling to find themselves or even adults, whatnot, you know, um, how do we, I know you're starting with the yoga aspect. Do you have any other ideas? Like how else do we start moving this and building new communities? Like I wouldn't even know where to start. I know you're starting to look at it. So I don't know if you have any other ideas.
1: Right. It's daunting exactly what you're saying. And I think that um that's part of what makes it difficult is that it's so easy in a sense to have ideas and hard to ground them mm-hmm. sometimes or at least it that's is. what I struggle with and mm-hmm. uh a lot of what I'm trying to do right now is just meet people and make different contacts in the community and see what exactly. other people are doing because there's so many people that are doing this kind of work but in different ways and I think that's incredibly helpful cuz I I've, I've been thinking a lot about um I keep using the term access points but I think that people who are ready for this kind of work uh, Mm -hmm. can be accessed in different ways. And for me, that might be through yoga for my partner. It's through film and music, for instance. And and so it has me kind of thinking, well, you know, we do need so many different types of people with so many different types of skills and gifts to be doing this work uh, so that Mm -hmm. we can reach as many people as we possibly can, including ourselves. And so you're right. Yoga is just one way of doing it. And it has me again, mm-hmm. thinking about what wellness is, what wellness can mean and how that can look mm-hmm. different for everyone. And so an example, I've been, um, that same person actually that comes to our donation based yoga in the community. Uh, I actually had a tea with her earlier today. and
0: Oh, oh yeah. I love that synchronicity. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's great. And, um, and she actually runs a not-for-profit uh, for dance theater. Oh. And uh, and so it's pretty incredible. But some of the programming that she's been talking about is she has uh, partnerships with schools and right. they go in and do different types of workshops for schools. And so right. we were kind of talking about And it it helps me kind of think about what you're asking is, yes, we don't just start with grad students, but also what can we do at the, you know, the first time children go to our school institutions and, uh, and what are we thinking of as wellness? So are we talking about things like nutrition and sleep and consent and knowing your body, especially for young people with uteruses?
0: Yes, especially. Yes.
1: Um, and also, and, you know, and that could incorporate things like yoga or somatic and nervous system release. Mm-hmm. Cause I think that helps so much with regulation totally. or breathing and different other types of mindfulness, meditation strategies, dance, movement, physical right. theater. There's the list is right. endless. And I think, um, I think that's what I come back to is that there's infinite possibility for connection and community. Mm but just finding what is right for the particular school or community that you're working with. And
0: um,
1: there's a school here actually, that has an incredible gardening program. There's a huge garden attached to the elementary school. Yeah. And um, and the kids are learning how to grow and you can walk through the garden as being part of the community, but the kids are learning how to grow all sorts of veggies and they take care of the garden. And there's an ecology program through that elementary school. I love that. Um, So I think about things like that. I'm like, if I had learned that in school, that would have been a game changer. And I'm over here trying to grow a beat as best as I can.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, and then how do you see, what challenges do you see? Do you see any pushback from the mental health program? Like any, you know, from that industry, from the medical field, do you see any challenges that of creating these types of communities or kind of bridging the gap between the two? Is there, what kind of challenges do you see there?
1: Sure. I mean, I think our field's so intellectualized. And so I think it's tough because a lot of the field uh, is research too. So I think we would have to shift what we're researching and, um, Mm. and that can be tough. You know, there are people Mm -hmm. that are doing different types of research studies on, you know, mindfulness or yoga and, but there are others that are not necessarily doing that and so i think that right. it's tough because we're gonna have to shift that dialogue from the academic settings uh right. and you know and that's tied up with our diagnosis system the dsm mm-hmm. uh model mm-hmm. or that big book that we use uh for diagnosis right. and that shifts right into a pharmacology so i think because right. <laughs> all these systems are so interconnected it, it will are. be tough yeah. maybe to find stakeholders i think there's a lot of people Mm -hmm. sort of underneath that, like, 1% that is making Mm -hmm. money off this industry that um, are doing a lot of work to interrupt it. But I could see that being an obstacle. Another obstacle is funding. You know, there's so many Mm. neighborhoods that don't have appropriate funding sources or access to that funding. Uh, And this neighborhood that I live in was able to get uh they're ecology funded. But you know, a oh, well, neighborhood yeah. that's more south from here might not be able to do something like that.
0: Right, right. And
1: I think it's really tough. It it comes back to just access, access of money yeah. and distribution yeah. of wealth. And
0: availability to other people. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And the whole aspect too is the the research, when you bring up like the research, it, it reminds me of an article I read a couple of years ago, about these scientists taking ayahuasca and researching it and trying mm-hmm. to find the cause and effect, and this is where I get a little bit, you know, I don't want to say, I guess, angry. Yeah, I guess I do get a little angry about why are we researching it? Why are why do we research medicines or techniques or things that have been proven thousands of years before colonialism? that it was a method that worked. Why do we need to have that proven to us in this society? Why, when we already know that it it does? Why, what is that about exactly? Why do we need to-
1: Yeah, that's a good question something? too. I'm actually just looked over here cause I'm reading a book called Inflamed right now uh, Ooh, by-
0: What is that about
1: Uh Oh, it's incredible. It's by Rupa, Maria and Raj Patel and my supervisor actually gave it to me and- <laughs> I know pretty great and it's all about how our um, our bodies are inflamed because of colonialism I agree it's incredible it's broken down into different sections and something that's really stood out I'm partway through it but something that's really stood out that I think can speak to what you're talking about Mm -hmm. is um, the idea that our where our science is grounded and you know Mm you know, the things that we choose to research are grounded in certain kinds of theory, which, you know, support the Western medical model, essentially. And so I think a lot of what tends to happen is when colonialism happened and cultures got dismissed and wiped out is we lost that connection to the healing practices that have worked. And a different Mm -hmm. model got imposed, a model that is based off of a lot of intellectualization, which, you know, has (laughs) its place. I I think research absolutely has its place and can be helpful and can be an access point for some too, you know, if someone can think cerebrally about something that might be helpful for them. But I think that there's a lot that's lost because we lose the context in which research has taken place. So for example, mm-hmm. the father of gynecology experimenting on black women or on black right. uh, enslaved women, right? right. And so right. is that research, right? And right. like, and that's where yeah. our gynecology practices have come from, for instance, yeah. you know? Well, so and that's, that's just thing, one example.
0: Pardon? With Queen Elizabeth, Queen Elizabeth, it was a Queen Elizabeth Queen Victoria. I'm my, my, not right on that, but it was the older one, the one before the grandmother of who's alive now, Queen Elizabeth, I don't know whatever. my royals very well. I don't know my royals either. But in Ina <laughs> Mae Gaskin's Child Guide to Childbirth, talks about that women never birthed on their back mm. until that queen's husband wanted to have a good view of the baby coming out and made her birth on her back. So, so all of these things, like there's so many things that we do that aren't necessarily right, you know. Agreed, and 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 yeah. So I wanted to bring that up too because when you yeah. we were talking about that, it reminded me of how we birth as well, and and most women don't even know. They just they're they're quick for a C section, they're quick for the epidural, and and they have no idea how their bodies mm. are working either. So Ugh, that was another
1: that's a whole other thing. A whole other... I have so many opinions about that,
0: but <laughs> so
1: I, I yeah. think that's part of the issue is like when we think about who has privilege in North American society. And then we see that those are the decision makers, primarily right. straight white men who are older. And right. um, and it's been that way since the so-called founding fathers of the USA right. and Canada. And, right. um, and that's, you know, why is there a father of gynecology? This person does right. not have a uterus. So, you know. It, it has me kind of thinking about things like that. And because I think so many cultures got plowed down, mm-hmm. uh, you know, our science is based off a lot of what white, straight, older men have wanted to study. And, mm-hmm. um, and we've been sort of conditioned to fit into that framework. So I think we need yeah. to change what we're researching. I think science is very valuable, but what are we researching? Yeah. How exactly. are we doing it? Um, and exactly. who's guiding that?
0: Exactly. And, and the results too, like, are they being shared equally with everybody? Are the findings really Mm -hmm. showing, you know, the, and the base of the research too, you know, Mm -hmm. are you, I know some, you know, pharmaceutical and things like that. They, they try to prove the medicine is doing one thing, but it may actually do something entirely Mm -hmm. different. So the focus of the research as well, right. And and avoiding all other attributes that could play into that, could change right. that result. So all of that and the research and the, and so the challenges, um, where do you think there would be a biggest hit back with psychology? You know, would, would it be, you know, with plant medicines like ayahuasca and things like that? Or do you mm-hmm. think it would be when it hits psycho- psych like uh, the pharmaceutical, I should say, um, aspect of psychology where do you kind of just in your own expertise feel like there may be a massive pushback because yoga's nice right Yoga's good now yeah right um yeah. dancing is great yoga you know that, that's all great but what if we get what, if, what about the psychedelic realm what about plant medicines what about
1: hmm. going to the
0: rainforest and fasting for four days and dancing to the moon like what about things that are that seem a little crazy sure. that don't fit
1: Sure. So it's really interesting that you bring that up, but there's a lot of different clinical trials happening in psychology right oh. now uh about psychedelics and mm-hmm. um and it's fascinating to me. So ketamine is probably one of the first ones that What is uh, that? I don't know that. I don't know. I'm not very familiar with ketamine in the same way as psilocybin, okay. but uh okay. ketamine I would oh, probably. Ketamine.
0: To... I think I do know ketamine. I think I do know a little bit about ketamine. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, no yeah.
1: worries. Um, but yeah. ketamine and psilocybin are sort of on the forefront of mm-hmm. um, of these randomized clinical trials. And so, uh, where people are sort of given smaller doses of these um, typically thought of as drugs. And, right. yeah, and monitored by a psychologist or a mental health professional, but guided through the experience by somebody. And, um, and so that's fascinating. So there's been a lot of sort of psychedelic therapy that has been to research me, (laughs) (laughs) right? You should come to one of the clinical trials, but this um so they're not necessarily story. released on the market as of yet but there okay. are so many different types of clinical trials that are looking at microdosing of psilocybin okay. for instance and how that might actually be helpful for people to gain insight and awareness and okay. um and you know tackle things like grief and depression and loss and transcendence and there's a book actually okay. by Michael Pollan called How to Change Your Mind that talks a lot about all of this and oh. Yeah, it's really cool and um, and I'm so inspired by it because I think the field, part of the field is shifting in that way. Uh, that is allowing people to be like, yeah, I could microdose with psilocybin, for instance, and have maybe, um, or, you know, maybe be in the safe guided space with my therapist who I trust and who can guide me through this larger dosage of psilocybin. And um, so there's a lot of research about that now. Uh, You cannot go to a therapist for it yet, but it's it's something that's developing and that I'm definitely excited about. And I'm not quite sure what the impact that will have on psychopharmacology as of yet. But given just, um, you know, right now in the clinical trials, they're trying to show that psilocybin, for instance, helps with depression and all, you know, grief transcendence, things that I was talking about before. I imagine that would have a large impact on psychopharmacology and, you know, the antidepressants that were typically prescribed.
0: Right. And how about the rituals that go along though with the medicines? How do we keep those intact, right? Like, right. for instance, I mean, psilocybin and doing the research and doing the medicine and and doing all of that is great. But what if it comes down to the ancient shamans who have been passed down traditions of how to run, you know, I know you did a Temescal for the first time, right, when you were in Mexico, right? Mm-hmm. How do you, you know, if that was to become westernized, right, for instance, a Temescal, um I don't know how they would do that or even like an ayahuasca (laughs) ceremony. I don't even know what they would do, but the medicine that comes from that, how do you, how do you keep all of those ancient traditions intact so we don't lose that again because that's what's happened already. We've lost so much. We can't lose what we've already have started to regain
1: no, you're you know? absolutely right about that. And I think that's the struggle of bridging sort yeah. of these Western models with other types of models it is, it is that yeah. um, I mean, that's what happened to yoga and mindfulness. Right. Both of those things got completely co-opted and appropriated. And, yeah. you know, some people will mention, like, oh, this is from this tradition or this tradition. But right. a lot of and sometimes and That's also problematic in a sense, too, just to mention it and not really explain it is problematic. So I agree with you. And I actually don't know how um, much these randomized clinical trials are incorporating the traditions. And I think that's Mm -hmm. an excellent question. There's um, not a ton of information about it again. And you're right. I think the fear is that we would take something that you know, is ancient and works like yoga or mindfulness, or, you know, working with psilocybin, for instance, right. and, um, and map it on to the existing Western models. Uh, right. So that would still be an appropriation of, um, right. of these practices, right? If we're not doing mm-hmm. them responsibly, or explaining the history to someone that you work with, or maybe right. involving ritual.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I, I'm glad that you're in the field, honestly, because you're you're amazing at what you do and and I love how you're so open to you know the mysticism and the intuition and all of that. so we need more you know change makers like that in the world, honestly, because um with these challenges that come up with how we're dealing with mental health and even just overall wellness, that's changing that's changing in a really big way, but then we don't want to lose our roots of what we've already lost as well, so I think it's amazing. And what you're doing, and how you're you're buttoned up against those challenges, and and working through them, and making those connections. I think it's a very beautiful, honored path that you're doing. And yeah, that's I. I just wanted to thank you for being on our show. That's all the time that we have today. It went so fast. You're gonna have to come back. (laughs) I would
1: love to come back. Thank you for having me. I always love talking to you.
0: So do I. And is there anything that you wanted to add? I mean, tell people how they can reach you. I'm going to put all that information anyways, also, but if you want to just uh, let people how to know how to reach you or, or any closing thoughts, go, go for it. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, I just, I want to thank everyone for their openness to these kinds of conversations and for listening and if you're curious about reaching out to me or want to talk more about decolonizing mental health, um, I know that Rena will provide my email and contact information. So please don't
0: hesitate. It's right too. there. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thank you, Victoria. It's been amazing. So much love. I know we'll catch up soon. But um yeah, thank you for being on the great the great break podcast. And uh stay tuned, guys. We will be back again in a couple of weeks with the next episode. Take care.